0: Do you want to turn me down a little bit, Neil? (laughs) Love songs. Love songs are the most wonderful songs, aren't they? Songs about sex and love and passion. You know, they abound in a world that's obsessed with sex and love and passion. Well, as the designer of love and sex and passion, as the one who, who made our bodies, you know, with nerve endings and soft spots and tender places, God inspired Solomon to write a song of songs, meaning the best of all songs. And because it's all about love, it's the ultimate love song. See, although Solomon, you see, with all his God-given wisdom, although he wrote 1,005 songs, this is his number one. This is his greatest hit, if you like. The song of songs, you see, while it's 3,000 years old, it's absolutely current for every single one of us whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're engaged, whether you're newly married, whether you've been married for many years, the song of songs is for you. Now, maybe some of you, though, you feel a bit awkward about this. Maybe you think, you know, should we be talking about this in church? And if so, you're actually certainly not alone. Even many good and godly Bible teachers either won't touch this book or they'll de-sex this book by teaching it only as an allegory about Jesus and the church but the poetic wisdom of the song of songs it's not primarily about God's grand plan it's actually more about our everyday world of of human relationships first and foremost this is a love song it's a song between two human lovers who for the most part are actually kind of blissfully unaware that we're even listening to them and so what they say to each other they say in the context of intimacy you know, they're not, it's not two people who've, who've met at a party and decided to go home and sleep together. It's two lovers who've unconditionally pledged themselves to one another in marriage. It's a love song and it uses uh, poetry and poetic license. So it's, it's not actually in chronological order. You know, we don't hear about their wedding until chapter 3 and yet they're married nonetheless right from the opening scene. It's a love song with two main singers so it's a duet between a country girl and a shepherd lover you know we don't know their names we don't know who they are but this just serves like the poetic intent for them to represent every man and every woman who's ever been in love there's a third group too though a group of backup singers who we saw in this opening scene it's a single friends who just drop in from time to time to sing a verse or two so what i would love to do as we open up to chapter one and i really want to encourage you i'm not going to put anything on the screen but i really want to encourage you to open up to song of songs chapter one and as you do you'll notice in italics the translators have put beloved okay when the girl's speaking lover when the man's speaking and and friends and when they're speaking so who speaks first Who's the sexual aggressor? Who's the more passionate one? Well, she is. She speaks first. She speaks last. She speaks most because she's free, she's passionate and she desires her husband. So right from the start, she says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfumes poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. You see what she's saying here? Right from the start, she's saying, kiss me with your mouth and take me to your bed and do it now. Welcome to the Song of Songs. Well, she's in a hurry though. She's in a hurry. We're going to slow things down a little bit and kind of just take it verse by verse. Verse 2, have a look. First, she wants to be kissed. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And it's, it's really good, isn't it, to see married couples kissing. You know, because kissing, it's, such a, it's just such a natural part of human intimacy. I mean, what's the first thing that often happens when couples start fighting? They stop kissing. And so if you're a couple, kiss each other. Kiss each other with the kisses of your mouth. Next, she moves from his lips to his love. For your love is more delightful than wine. She wants to be kissed, not just because he's a good kisser, but because he's a good lover. His love being something you know she can she can touch, she can taste, she can smell. Like good wine. You know, it's sweet, it's smooth, it's relaxing, it's intoxicating. Verse three, she continues pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Okay, smells nice, smells really nice. And as perfume companies know, sexual attraction comes not just through our eyes, but through our noses. And so, men, we mustn't miss this. We've got to shower. (laughs) We've got to use deodorant. We've got to shave. We've got to use aftershave. We've got to brush our teeth, comb our hair. We've got to groom ourselves. Why? Why? so that you're attractive to your wife. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be a metrosexual, but you do have to be a good husband. So groom yourself, look nice, smell nice. For who? For her. Now, actually, married couples, my my application today is going to take, there's there's something in this for everybody, but for married couples, the application today is going to actually take the form of some questions that I want to encourage you to ask each other on the way home. There's only three of them. Lee and I have already discussed these questions at great length and I also want to encourage you to write these down and to discuss them too. So first question, husbands, on the way home, ask your wives, is there anything in my grooming that I could do to make me more attractive to you? First question. And wives, you could ask your husbands the same question. Is there anything in my grooming that I could do or I could improve to make me more attractive to you? Okay, next. She says, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Now, she's talking here about his reputation, about his character, his integrity. She's saying how she's she's attracted by the fragrance of her lover's name. And men, we mustn't miss this one too that godly women, you know, godly women are not just interested in how much you make or how you look. You know, you may be a hunk, but a hunk of what? You see, that's the question. She wants to be able to respect you. She wants to be proud of you. She wants to be able to say, that's my husband. You know, he's a great guy. He loves Jesus. He loves me. He loves the kids. He reads the Bible. He prays. He, He works hard and fair. He's honest. He's faithful. He's great and I love him. She doesn't want a harsh husband, a lazy husband and always out pursuing his own hobbies husband. She doesn't want a selfish husband. She doesn't want a I don't read the Bible and pray husband. She wants to be attracted to your character. And so husbands, another question for the way home. Question two, ask your wife. Is there anything in my character that you find unattractive and, and let her speak let her speak freely let her help you so that she can be more attracted to you well verse four she says take me away let us hurry let the king bring me into his chambers and now she's impatient she's really impatient and yet yet that's my beautiful wife i'm so proud of her <laughs> she's impatient and yet she waits upon him to take her into the chambers you know into the into the bedroom the bridal chambers and notice that that while she calls her lover the king and she does she calls him the king in my view this is not literally solomon of whom she speaks yes solomon's the song's author i don't think he's the lover the lover of whom she speaks is really a shepherd as we'll see in verse 7 he's a common shepherd but nonetheless he's her king and their love making is majestic and so with that the, the, the first seed comes to an end the only thing left really is for the choir to sing, which they do we will rejoice and delight in you we will praise your love more than wine you see although love is blind her friends aren't saying what does she see in him They're saying, we rejoice and delight in him. They're saying, he's a great guy. You've got a great relationship. And so, yes, your love is greater than wine. That's what they're saying. And, you know, there's an important principle for us here too. And that is, guys, in courting a girl, you've got to woo her friends too because they will let you know what they think of you. And, girls, you've got to be discerning about who your friends are. You know, stick with friends who say nice things about your spouse, friends who want the best for your relationship, for your marriage, friends who encourage you to love each other and to stick together. It's really nice, isn't it, when other people see the character and the qualities of your partner, isn't it? Isn't that lovely? Well, the bride here certainly thinks it is because she says how right they are to adore you. She's just so into him, you know, and she, and she just delights in telling him. It's beautiful. In verse 16, she says, How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. But notice this, when her focus moves from him to herself, her mood changes. From verse 5, Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark, like the tents of Gadar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I've neglected. Can you see what she's saying? She's saying, "I, I, I don't fit the cultural standards of beauty. You know, I don't look like any cover girl. She's saying, unlike today, you know, in that day, you see, women who were considered most beautiful were pale. They were affluent. They didn't have to work outside. But the common girls who were poor, they worked outside. And so this poor country girl, you know, who'd been forced to work the land, her skin was tan and her looks had been neglected. She hadn't the time or the money to, you know, to get the hair and the eyebrows and the nails done. Like so many women, she had spent so much time attending to the needs of others that she hadn't taken care of herself. Later in chapter 2, verse 1, she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Rose there being just a normal flower of the field, you know, not the long, thin stem roses we're used to. A lily of the valley just being another common flower. These flowers are everywhere. And what she's saying is, she's saying, I'm plain, I'm ordinary, I'm nothing special. I don't look like all the beautiful girls. And you know, that's something that resonates, isn't it, with nearly every girl. One survey found that nearly 99% of women have something about their appearance that they just really don't like. You know, I'm I'm too fat, I'm too short, I'm not pretty. To which a lover says, you are to me. Look at chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Now, you know, that is a great verse to notice, both for men and for women. She says, you know, I'm just I'm nothing special, I'm just an ordinary old lily of the valley, and he says, You're a lily. But every other girl's a thorn compared to you. That's how special you are to me. I mean there's a lover for you, isn't it? There? There's a lover. He blind to all others. He not only tells his beloved how special she is, but he just keeps telling her. He keeps telling her again and again and again. Skip ahead to verse fifteen. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. See, looking into her eyes, he he tells her what he sees. That her eyes are like doves. He sees peace and purity and innocence. He sees beauty. He sees character. And so he's telling her how beautiful she is, both outside and in. Back in verse 9, he tells her, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck with strings of jewels. Now, that one, you might be kind of tempted to say, hey, poet, why the animal analogy? You know, why not stick to the flower and dove metaphors? Why compare it to a horse? But in that context, it was actually a beautiful thing to say because he's likening her not only to an Egyptian horse, which were the best in the world, but to a mare placed among stallions, which would drive the stallions wild, which is exactly what she does to him. All this to say, really, husbands, compliment your wives. You know, comment on her beauty. Don't just assume that she knows. Look deeply. Men do this. Look deeply into her eyes and tell her and tell her and keep telling her again and again and again. And so rather than question three, suggestion three. Men on the way home, if you're not already, start telling your wife how you feel about her, you know, what you love about her. Start verbalising why she is so special to you. Now, back into the song, the section ends. This section ends from chapter 2, verse 3. And the girl... At the end here, she's again just speaking so beautifully and so freely. She says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He's taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me as love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Now, I wonder if you could kind of see the movement of this whole first section. You know, how it, how it opened with her passionate longing to make love. And how it closes here with her ecstatic exhaustion after having done just that. Our lovers here, they're sitting, they're sitting back in each other's arms. And while there is still a lot of eroticism going on in these verses, her focus here at the end is on joy and it's on protection. Why? Because she's in a safe place. She's in the arms of her lover, of the man that she's happy to entrust her body to. And so, naked and unashamed, which is the way God intended it to be, they recline together, and his banner over her is love. She's saying, He's my banner. He loves me, he looks out for me, he defends me, that close to him I'm safe and secure. I'm protected, I'm cared for. She's saying, I'm loved, I'm loved. I mean, what a picture of protection, of provision, of security and shade. You know, that unlike her harsh brothers who provided no shade from the sun, did they? Her gentle lover, he provides all that she needs. And so she eats of the fruit and it's sweet to her taste. It's all very innocent, it's all very good. It's kind of reminiscent of pre-Fall Eden, isn't it? God had said about each other, take and eat. And so they've taken and they're eating. And they do so with such pleasure and with such delight. It's wonderful, isn't it? Love is so powerful, isn't it? Love is so powerful. It's so powerful that... It just utterly captivates you with a person, doesn't it? Utterly shapes kind of the way you see them, the way you think about them, the way you treat them. Love is blind. It kind of changes the way you see it. It mesmerises you. It transforms you, doesn't it? It's transformative. It's delightful. Maybe for you, though, you're kind of sitting here and you're thinking, this is making me a little bit sad. You know, maybe you're thinking, I don't love anybody like that. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have anyone that loves me like that. If you think that way, you know, you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong, you know. You do have somebody who loves you like that. It's Jesus. Because you see, it's very easy for us to downplay Jesus' love for you because it's not the kind of the romantic, sexual kind of love that our culture tells us we have to have. But in reality, Jesus' love is even stronger, far stronger, and it's exactly the sort of love that shapes what he sees in you. And where do we see this most clearly? We see it, of course, at the cross, and especially in that moment where after everything that he's been through, you know, having been betrayed falsely arrested lied about ridiculed spat on whipped beaten a crown of sharp thorns pressed into his head nails driven through his hands and his feet he's hanging he's hanging naked humiliated on that cross and it's still love that totally shapes what he sees because you see hanging there on that cross jesus he doesn't look out and see a bunch of hateful murderers he looks out and he sees a bunch of confused sinners. He sees sheep without a shepherd. And so with a love that absolutely defies description, what does he do? He calls out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know, friends, it's, it's with that exact same love that Jesus looks at you and I. As he looks into our lives and as he looks at us, he sees past our lying and our laziness. He sees past our gossiping and our greed. He sees past our fantasies and our unfaithfulness. He sees past our sin. And with a love that defies description, he offers up his life for us. That's love. That's love. And so please, please do not feel that you are not loved. Whether you're single, you're married, you're widowed, divorced, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, you are loved by our loving Lord Jesus. And so with that reassurance, I want to take you to the final verse, okay, in this section, a verse specifically for the single people among us, okay. Chapter 2, verse 7, it's like a chorus line. It's repeated three through times throughout the song. It's, it actually teaches us something very important and that's why it's, it's repeated. Here is verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, she says, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, she's saying if you're single, all right, don't arouse love too soon, don't awaken it too early, don't force love, don't hurry love, Don't be so afraid of being alone that you rush into love too fast. Why? Because love, it is so intoxicating and so exhilarating. It is so hot and so powerful. It is so consuming and it will captivate you and capture you in such a way that if you rush into it too fast, it can do you a lot of damage. But if it's not the right time, it really can be too hot to handle. And it's important to notice that this warning, it doesn't come through the voice of, you know, a celebrate prophet or a a rabbi or even a father or a mother. It comes through the voice of a peer, you know, a newlywed, a former daughter of Jerusalem herself as she speaks openly and honestly to her single girlfriends. And this is a picture, really this is a picture of um, peer pressure at its biblical best out of her wedding chamber she comes and she tells her a single friend she says wait for this wait it is worth it it is worth the wait she's saying draw the line draw that line until it's time now you know a lot of single people are often asking you know where's the line where's the line how much where can i go how much where's the line but it's the wrong question it's the wrong question. The right question is not where's the line. The right question is when's the time? When's the time? And when is that time? It's marriage. It's marriage. It's that beautiful gift that God has given us. And so as hard as it can be, and I know as hard as it can be, if you desire to honour God and to put Him first, if you trust God, if you truly believe that He knows what's best, then if you're single, if you're dating, you'll wait. You'll wait until the time is right. And then, and only then, only then, and I think this is why she's giving the warning, will it be white hot and wonderful pleasuresome and joyful beyond your wildest dreams because you waited until the time was right let's pray talk to our great god our loving heavenly father we we thank you so much that you are a god of love that you have created us as loving beings, that you've created us to love. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful gift of marriage between a man and a woman and for the love and the intimacy, the pleasure and the joy that marriage brings. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your wisdom in the Song of Songs. Father, help us to read your wisdom, to heed your wisdom. Help us to live and to love in a way that pleases you. And we pray it all in Jesus' precious and pure and beautiful name. Amen.